Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine, broadcasting from the Oilfield Expert Studios. Oilfield Experts, where you get the right products right now. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. I'd like to tell you about the latest issue of Shell Magazine, in which it's featuring the state of Alaska's Willow Project. You might be familiar with it. It took a long time to get through permitting project that ConocoPhillips has invested a lot of time in energy, and it makes a great article to read on why we need energy reform. To have a solid energy policy is important. So I encourage you to go to shellmag.com to look at the article. It's up now. To look at the latest issue of Shell Magazine, if you go to shellmag.com, you can find the article and many more. Dr. Tinker, you are the director of the Bureau of Economic Geology, the state's geologist of Texas, and a professor holding the all-day endowed chair in the Jackson School of Geoscience at the University of Texas in Austin. With your director, Harry Lynch, you co-produce an award-winning documentary film called Switch and Switch On, which has been screened in over 50 countries. And Dr. Tinker, you are the creator and the chairman of the board and founder of a nonprofit called Switch Energy Alliance, whose educational materials appear in schools and boardrooms globally. And you also are the host of PBS's Energy Switch. It's an energy and climate talk show appearing on over 200 PBS stations nationwide. And Earth Day featured weekly in over 150 public radio stations in all 50 of the United States. And you have visited over 60 countries. You have given a thousand keynote and invitational lectures. You also have presented a TEDx talk called the Dual Challenge Energy and Environment, as well as sitting on numerous public company boards and science councils. And you've appeared in numerous major media outlets such as Forbes, Fortune, and Scientific American. Thank you for being a guest on In the Oil Patch Radio Show. It's a pleasure to have you. Thanks, Kim. It's good to be here with you. I have followed you through the years, Dr. Tinker, and you have done some amazing things. Sometimes I wonder how your family, you know, enters with you being gone so much. You are truly doing the planet a gift by traveling and continuing to lectures, of course, your show, which we're going to get into that as well in the show. But I want to start with your work that you're currently doing in the unconventional and oil and gas reserves. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing specifically with the University of Texas in Austin. Yeah, sure. Well, I run the Bureau of Economic Geology, which is the oldest research unit at UT. We're 113 years old now. There have been eight directors. <laughs> so you can they can't get rid of us, Kim. <laughs> but anyway. But- they, have inform- they have really a lot of information that spans back a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I've been studying the earth for a long time. The Bureau has all sorts of resources, both subsurface and surface. We've been in the shale game a long time and probably started one of the first consortia in that or funded really actually not as consortially by by the Sloan Foundation out in New York City, looking at reserves and resources. And that's been following the big shale basins around the country and that very integrated team. We also have a consortium looking at the microstructure. It's called Mudrocks Consortium. And and then several other groups that have looked at these kinds of unconventional reservoirs for a long time. And so I I don't do the work. I'm I'm just cheerleader. I, I love to learn and listen and help and bring some money into it and <laughs> keep them busy. You know, it, it's uh it's a great group. So we really truly do, I think, understand as well as most what the subsurface looks like there and what the 
what the production future could hold for shale in this country and potentially other places in the world. And it's an interesting one. Most people listening to the show are average day people that get up, go to work, come home, take care of their families, want to do a softball game or a basketball game on the weekend. We are all understanding energy is a very important topic. You have been an energy scientist for a very, very long time. And while our listeners might think, well, you're in the University of, of Austin, and what does that have to do with me? You've done so much. And that's why I was talking earlier about how much, how I wonder sometimes if you even sleep. You've accomplished so much in energy and, and energy education. And, and I just can't say enough thank you for doing it because there's such great uncertainty. If the professionals have a hard time understanding where we're going with energy, and I'm talking about energy companies, their CEOs, senior management, venture capitalists, or people who are investing in these projects, our governments, this is a global discussion and it's complicated, but you have done, it seems like your life work is to educate everyone from the most educated in the sector to, of course, the most misunderstood of what is happening here with energy. But energy is vital. It actually requires, we have to have it to flourish as human beings. And the fact that we now have something that's called energy transition occurring, you recently created a TEDx talk specifically on this topic. And I want you to cover that because you you titled it. The dual challenge, <laughs> energy and environment. Many people are, are really struggling with what is happening here. You know, they like I said, they get up, they go to work, they come home, they just want to raise their family and have a job. And yet there are so many questions that their children come home and ask them or they don't have the answer to. And your TEDx talk, let's talk about that. Tell me about what you were hoping to accomplish in your talk. It was a very great talk, and I encourage our listeners to go and look you up, Scott Tinker, on the dual. Yeah, it, there is energy does underpin everything in our lives. And we don't, most of us don't know that. And there's no reason we would, but I did a Dr. Seuss moment that our pets and our jets, our homes and our phones, our, our heaters and our beaters and on and on and on everything in our lives. And the challenge then is there's the demand for energy is so great globally. Now that's in the rich world. Uh, it turns out only about one out of eight of us live in the rich world. The other 7 billion people don't. And they're in various stages of energy poverty and economic poverty from severe. And we made a film about that called Switch On Global Film, all kind of transitioning up to it. And as they continue to increase in population from 8 billion headed toward 10 and demand more energy to lift themselves from poverty, which is absolutely essential that happens in the world, we see the demand for energy going up, Kim. And that's the great challenge is adding energy, additional energy, and also protecting our environment. That's the great dual challenge. And I think what's happened is we've kind of painted the environment into a corner a little bit, all about climate change. And that's what many young people in the rich world learn about is climate change. And fair enough, it's a major global issue. It's not the only issue in the environment, though. There's our water and our land and our air, which are all important. And in fact, the water, land, and air are more important to those other 7 billion people because they are trying to find some clean water to drink and soil that's not polluted and some air to breathe so they don't die from in indoor smoke inhalation by cooking indoors with wood and dung, which 3 billion people in the world still do, killing 3 million people every year as much as COVID killed in 2020. Every year, breathing smoke indoors as much as COVID. So these are some things that most of us don't understand in the wealthy world. We sit here and Zoom back and forth, and our energy is reliable, and it's affordable, and life's great, but not for everybody. 
So that's the great dual challenge. And I'm very passionate about that, uh, lifting, seeing the world come up economically. And the reason for that isn't just because I'm such a great person and such a humanitarian, all these things. It's because it will better the world. It will better the world economically. And it'll also better the world's environment. The, the cleanest environments in the world are where it's rich, those who can afford to clean it up. And we have regulatory systems and we're not living under extreme autocracies and we don't have corruption at the level that, that systems can't ferret it out. And so this is the great advantage, I think, to think about is why it matters to all of us is because it will be better for the world, the world's humans and better for the world's environment to, for all of us to have access to affordable energy and then lift ourselves up economically. Well, we're going to get in a little bit later on in the show, your TV show. We're going to really start drilling down uh, for our listeners. But thank you for opening with that, because to me, that's the most important topic is that we really do not understand energy and how it applies. Most listeners, a lot of times, don't understand even where when they turn on their light switch and they have lights where it comes from. We need a lot of informed information disseminating and a lot less, in my opinion, scare tactics. And a lot of them are from elected officials with a narrative. And I'm not saying I'm getting into who I like. and That's not the show. But we really need to be informed about what so we can make better decisions when we go to the voting polls and, and elect an elected official. Do they have sound energy policies? Because it's going to affect us. And not just us here in the United States, but you mentioned the global problem. It, it There are many countries, our listeners do not understand, that don't even have access to clean drinking water or their life expectancy is cut short because, and strictly because they're poor. Uh, and I've yet, visited uh, 60 countries in my life. I've been fortunate and seen probably the most severe wealth and the most severe poverty and not just dropped into an airport, but spent time in it. And not that I'm pretending to understand what it's like. I always get to leave. So they don't. And, and, and that's, you know, kids and we brought first solar to Gunchupo, Colombia, an indigenous village of Orwako people. Those kids will die, half of them before they're 18, from diarrhea or a tooth infection, something that wouldn't kill us. And so I do, I have an axiom, you know, most people don't know how gasoline is made or where electricity comes from, but they think they do. And it's not our fault, but we do need to begin to understand these things at a level deeper than sound bites. And I'll and I say it this way. It's not binary. There's no clean energy. There's no dirty energy. There's no good or bad. There are really believers and deniers. No, no, this, is, this isn't a binary set of problems. They're, they're, they're complex, but solvable. You know, not simple, but solvable if we deal with all the data and information. And that's why you're passionate about what you do, and so am I. Well, and passion, yes. Uh, we both have it in the way of wanting to educate and inform. But all too often, we do see that there's a lot of misinformation. And now we're at a point where we have elected officials saying we have to get off the grid or we face annihilation. And for uh, for the masses, they don't understand that. And, and we see, and, and I don't want to get too deep into this either, Dr. Tinkle, but we see if we're having suicide in children because they can't see a positive future, we've lost the narrative here. Yeah. We need to understand that energy isn't going anywhere. We need all of the forms, not just a few selected, because of the what we're projecting a population coming on board in the future, correct? And so when we really start drilling down, let's get away from the scare tactics. People like you really matter because you're an energy scientist 
you do care about the planet and you're here to educate because that's your background. But on a specific topic that most people have a bias because there's either money behind it or there is something in it as opposed to just let's just try to get to the truth and let's try to transition whatever that looks like. But it's going to be a great discussion in the future, but it's also going to be one that isn't figured out overnight. And we really want, I think my goal is to try to educate the masses. If you're going to go and vote, go vote. If you're going to have an opinion, at least be a little bit informed because what you're doing does matter to you and it matters to society. And we should consider all things before we get into these deep, you know, discussions. If you don't want to go into this field and work anymore because it's it's dirty. Actually, that's not the case. There's many, many, many educated people in oil and gas. It's not a dirty industry. <laughs> it's actually quite intelligent, these people, and it actually is a great industry to go into, and it is the future. It's just evolving into something that may not look the same as it is today. Take a quick break real quick. Sure. You're listening to an oil radio show, and we'll be right back. Dr. Tinker, before the break, Kim had one of her little moments, which I typically do, of just, look, let's just try to get to the information as as correct as it can be of what is the energy need? Where are we going? How does this look? And from people who probably know a lot more than me, the interviewer. And so I, I was talking to you about we need to get more informed. And you were going to say something, and I'm sorry, I had to take a, a station break. No right. Go ahead. No problem <laughs> at all. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, I think the the concepts that we're talking about here, uh, the demand for energy and the access to energy, are just fundamental to things. And and we tend to get a little bit caught up in a dialogue that is U.S. and Western Europe centric, and those represent maybe combined about seven percent of the world's population, and it's a wealthy you know, wealthy part of the population. So. As you start to think beyond that a little bit, there's a whole different set of dialogues out there. So most of the world doesn't hate the oil and gas industry. In fact, it creates good jobs for them and they see it as part of their future because it is. They're going to need that energy. And African nations spoke with one voice at COP27 in Egypt and said, we're going to use oil and gas to lift us from poverty. You did. And we are. And that's okay. That's not a negative thing. Uh, The... The crisis, the existential crisis being presented from some of these things is unfortunate. Uh, Some kids have taken it literally. We won't exist (laughs) in 10 or 20 years as humans. And this is not a good narrative. There's work to do, but it's not existential. So, again, the challenge becomes more than a black and white dialogue. Either you hate oil and gas or you don't. That's not the issue here. Oil and gas and coal are actually important things for the world and have been and will be. We got to clean up the emissions from them to help slow and hopefully level out climate change through atmospheric emissions. We also got to make sure that they and other forms of energy protect the water and the land and the air. When you look at optionality, and I've written a lot about this, there aren't any options for energy that are clean in the sense of what we think. Everything, I'm a geologist, I don't mind things coming from the earth, (laughs) but everything that goes into a solar panel or a wind turbine or a battery is mined from the earth. All the metals and and all the rare earth elements and things. And then we manufacture those. And unfortunately, they wear out like everything. Wind wind turbine blades wear out and the motors wear out. The solar panels get scratched and wear out. The batteries wear out, as we all know. And we dump them in landfills. 
we're not reusing and recycling them. It's too expensive. So we dumped it all in landfill and we do it again. So when you do something like that, you mine and make and use and dump over and over. It's not renewable. So this is a great, I think, fallacy that we've continued to propagate. There's renewable energy. There isn't. There's nothing that to collect the Earth's energy, whether it's the sun and the wind or waves and tides or biomass or oil or gas or coal or uranium or thorium, whatever it is we're using to create energy, none of it's renewable. So we got to get our heads around that thought. And then, and that's okay. It's not an end of the world thought. It's one that says each one has impacts. How are we going to clean up those impacts as we scale them to meet the world's demand for energy? And again, it's very doable. That's excitingly doable. I would encourage young people who are excited by this, whether they're in science and engineering or policy or law or business, there's so much opportunity in this space. It's remarkable. So get into it, you know, roll your sleeves up and become part of the solution and you'll have a remarkable career. You know, I'm, I'm glad you also said that because as we start whatever this transition looks like, and it, it's certainly going to be dynamic, there's a lot of things happening here, a lot of moving parts, but there's also in your show, Switch Energy Alliance, which is your, you created this nonprofit and you're chairman of the board and founder of it. It it actually uh, is part, well, Energy Switch is part of uh, documentaries that you and your your director, Harry Lynch, co-produced together. And that's designed to go to schools and boardrooms globally to help inform and educate. But you also have created something that I'm very impressed with. You're the host of Energy Switch. It's an energy and climate talk show appearing in over 200 stations. This is impressive because it's, you know, hearing you speak today, you break it down in a way we can understand. We we, we don't need another highly technical show that no one understands. And right. so preparing for the show, I was able to listen to the majority of your shows and quite oh. impressed with, Good. first of all, it's top quality. So kudos to you. It's great. It also really hits what people need to hear. So I want to drill down into a few because it's not just that you also have, uh, you're also on the radio as well. Let's start with a couple of what, what created you to want to do the energy switch Alliance, this nonprofit that you. Yeah. Harry is a brilliant guy, filmmaker, documentary filmmaker across the space. He's made things on mental health and he has a Friday night on PBS on classical music and all sorts. Net called now hear this. I met Harry 15 years ago. We started making the first film switch feature length. We went to 11 countries just to show people what energy looks like in the world, the pros and cons. It was really the first film on energy transition, if you will, came out in 2012. And then we got back together years later. I said, Harry, we missed half the world. Let's go look at those who don't have much. And we made switch on our second feature length film. And in doing that formed the 501c3 called the switch energy Alliance. So that's the, that's the, the company, if you will, into which all this energy education sits, mostly film-based. We have a platform for high schools called Switch Classroom. It it provides the uh, energy component of AP Environmental Sciences nationwide for those teachers who want to use it. It's free to them and supplemental. We have a teacher advisory council. AP scores go up. It's college board certified, but it's supplemental and free. Wonderful stuff. We've got a film in museums, et cetera. So a lot of uh, and things we do in campuses, a case competition for energy poverty nas- internationally. A lot of neat things going on, but one of the areas we wanted to try to access was the educated public who wants okay. to learn a little bit more. 
right? And and so the PBS audience is an educated public for sure. They lean a little left in the aggregate. They're all over the board, but in the aggregate, a little left to center. That's fine. So we created this talk show called Energy Switch. I'm the host of two guests. And so there's an underlying theme. The two guests we invite don't agree on everything, but they're very high level people. And we talk about, we'll talk for an hour and a half and we edit it down to 25 minutes. So it's very digestible. And you hear civil dialogue. You hear critical thinking and civil dialogue around big issues of people. And all of a sudden the audience is saying, hey, there's not a believer and denier here. These are real issues. And as host, I don't say much unless I need to. Bring them back onto the range, and the you know if, if we get too far afield with data, but let those folks visit it, and it's really powerful when you start to see that kind of discussion going on. Very good, Dr. Tinker. Let's take a quick break because when we return from break, I want to drill down in two of your shows. Sure. Listening to an oil radio show, we'll be right back. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us, 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210-240-7188. And we're back. You're listening to an old Patriot show. My guest today is Dr. Scott Tinker, professor at the University of Texas in Austin. Dr. Tinker, your show, Energy Switch, let me um, introduce it in this way. You had part one and two on the discussion of more nuclear power. Nuclear power is not really talked about a lot as an option in many ways. We hear newer things such as solar, wind, and more sexier is hydrogen coming on, if you will, the topics. But good old nuclear power has been around for quite some time. And when people think about nuclear power, they kind of get a really bad quick image of Chernobyl or Fukushima, right? But that's not really the case. So I want you to set up your show that you had with two guests who came across a kind of dueling. And to me, it got a little interesting (laughs) with Michael Schellenberger, who's been a guest on the show. But let's start with your two guests. Let's start with that and start with the topic at first. Who was your guest? What was your point? What What were you trying to accomplish on this show? So Arjun Makajani and Michael Schellenberger came on and we wanted to have an open dialogue at a high level about nuclear and the pros and cons. You know, do we need more or not globally? And that's the context. We usually ask a simple question like that, which sets up the show. We have subsequently season two has come out now. We've just filmed season three. and We do more on nuclear in different ways. But they, they were uh, Arjun is a physicist. He's a very smart guy and understands nuclear power and nuclear weapons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was kind of against nuclear. (laughs) And and that was the great irony. Michael Schellenberger was pro-nuclear. And and Michael is a very smart guy, too, a journalist and a good friend. And he's written books and things and et cetera. So, uh, yeah, they had a wonderful discussion. Uh, I think Arjun's, at the end of the day, biggest concern was just timeframes. Can you you build it fast enough? Can you scale it? it, Are we going to are we gonna, is going to be allowed to happen even. And, and Michael was arguing to carry forward with the current technologies like water reactors, the larger ones, gigawatt scale. So they weren't, they didn't, 
you know, there were some testy parts in there, but they didn't overall disagree completely. Neither one was saying nuclear is going to kill the world. They were just really more practical about, can you address climate change without nuclear? Probably not. Um, but you can't build nuclear fast enough. So why go down the nuclear path? Well, you can build some. And some places, China is building a lot of nuclear right now, and maybe India is going to follow. And that's very different from the U.S. So we have to go again, Kim, to our global perspective about these things and not get too parochial. So it was, it's a great show. The point here, though, I think, is we try to model civil dialogue. And yes, we can disagree and disagree over data and economics and physics and other kinds of things, but we don't start calling one another names or canceling one another off of whole platforms because we disagree. You know, and this is the I think this is what our political leaders and our young people and our and our faculty and others need to really again begin to encourage is civil dialogue and critical thinking around these issues. And we don't have to agree on everything. It doesn't mean you're good and I'm bad. You know, or I'm right and you're wrong. Usually, there's combinations of all those things in there. You know, it's a it's a discussion that's real. That's so right because the discussion has really gotten to a fever pitch, if you will. That is just not doing anyone any good. When we come back from break, I want to drill down a little bit more because I want you to explain to the listeners why nuclear is so popular, according to Michael Schellenberger, and what seems to be the problem. I think, again, when most people think about nuclear, they really just kind of get a quick snapshot of Chernobyl and they turn away from it. But there are some good reasons to look at nuclear. And I want to talk about the future of nuclear as well. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to an old patch radio show. We'll be right back. Are you a business owner feeling overwhelmed where to begin your business's online presence? Maybe you've spent thousands of dollars in the past just to be highly disappointed with the results. We understand because we were once you. Since then, we decided to hire the very best experts to help us and you. Let us send you our business profile that will quickly show you your Google business rankings in these five areas. Reputation, ratings online, website, advertising and social media and search engine optimization all of these areas really affect how google ranks your entire listing so if ranking on page one is your goal pick up the phone and call us now 210-240-7188 or simply go to shalemag.com slash business profile we'll be in contact with you within 24 hours once again pick up the phone and call us now 210-240-7188 or simply go to shalemag.com that's s-h-a-l-e-m-a-g.com slash business profile start dealing with a company you can trust and always find shale oil and gas business magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website, shalemag.com. Once again, that's shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G.com to learn more. Shale is your one-stop shop for growing your business. Pick up the phone today and call 210 210- 2407188 again 
We're back. You're listening to a Noel Patch Radio show. Dr. Tinker, before the break, we were talking about your show specifically. And uh, one of the shows you had was discussing nuclear power. You had part one, part two. But I want to back up just a little bit because a lot of listeners, when they hear nuclear power, I think they cringe. I think they are afraid of it. I don't think they're very familiar with it. Is this a solution for the future? Because nuclear doesn't provide any real waste. So what is the problem with nuclear in the way of waste? And I mean, I mean, error admissions and things. Is, is it a, it's more promising, but yet it seems to be a lot more scarier for people. Can you break that down for us that we understand why nuclear power could be a solution to energy transition in the future? Yeah, nuclear suffers from an image problem for sure. <laughs> you hear <laughs> nuclear and you think, oh no, radioactivity, et cetera. And, and that's very prevalent in Europe still. Uh, now, the, the, the promising thing here is young people today, I'm old, I was trained to be scared of nuclear power or nuclear energy, but young people today have not been trained that way. And they've been trained to be scared of climate change, but they're not scared of nuclear. So, and that's good. What nuclear power, let's separate it from nuclear weapons. Okay, nuclear weapons are a different technology and require different weapons grade radioactive stuff, um, plutonium that's really high level. <laughs> so nuclear power uses just the, the heat generated from a radioactive reaction to boil water and make steam and turn a generator, you know, and, 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 and create electricity and make power. Same thing that burning coal or burning gas, or it's just heat, different source of heat. Boil water, make steam, turn a turbine, run a generator. Now, nuclear electricity actually on a per kilowatt hour basis has been the safest of all forms of electric generation period. Far and away, actually, it's the safest on a kilowatt hour basis. Very dense, which means that reactor is running 90, 95, 97% of the time. The source of heat is very dense, so it doesn't take much uranium to make a whole lot of heat compared to other things, including natural gas and coal, and certainly the solar and wind, which is very low density. So a big advantage there, no emissions at the site. You do have the radioactive waste that is produced and you've got to manage that well. More modern reactors are using a lot of the heat in that waste before they finally take it off for ultimate disposal. Um, and and you got to manage that, but it's not weapons grade. So if you're passionate about climate change and its impacts, you also better be pretty passionate about pro-nuclear because that is the scalable source of non-emissions energy that can go globally today. And right now, they're mostly big, uh, Kim, a gigawatt. That's a thousand megawatts. It's a, that's a lot. A, a, a big wind turbine is about two megawatts. So this would be a thousand of those. And, and the wind only gets captured about a third of the time. That's called a capacity factor where nuclear is almost 100%. So thousands of turbines, wind turbines, to be one nuclear reactor. They just kind of think of that scale. And But there's also smaller modular reactors. So we've had them forever on aircraft carriers and submarines. Those are nuclear-powered vessels that go around the ocean. They float and move. Smaller ones could be deployed today in local areas, um, 50 megawatt, that kind of scale. The ones that are prevalent, new scale and, and Terra power, and there are others, but those are kind of the two leaders. They they propose to bury them in, in the earth. So in a canister, no bigger than this room, really, in many ways, a little bit bigger and down in the earth and very well protected. So you could distribute them. You could start to see them in Africa and 
Latin America and parts of the world that don't have much energy today as a very stable source of energy and complementing solar and wind. I think the what I'd like to communicate here is nuclear has a very strong role to play. It's not the only role, but we've got to stop demonizing one and competing it against another. These things, they all have roles to play. They all have pros and cons and challenges. Nothing's perfect, but let's work on the complementary aspects of them. And I think we'll get a lot farther. To the to the listener who is uh, saying, okay, so Dr. Tinker, you told me, you said that uh, nuclear power is a solution. We're not talking about mass destruction weaponry. We're talking about energy sources. And there are some solutions out there. Uh, in your opinion, are we moving in this direction um, versus others? You know, what we about? are. Okay, so. We are. Yeah, not we being the world, again, uh, not Europe, except for France and maybe Poland and Romania. Uh, maybe a couple other Eastern European, and the U.S. is pretty slow on it, but the world is. China is building 50 new reactors today, of course, and have another, these are big ones, another 100 on the books. We're starting to see movement in other big, high population, uh, low-income nations like India, Bangladesh, and others that are starting to talk about nuclear as part of their portfolio for affordable, low emissions to no emissions, dense energy. So the world is moving this way needs to, the U.S. and Western Europe need to kind of get going to keep up. <laughs> Otherwise, we get left behind. Why do you think this is slow walking here in the United States as far as us looking at it? Is there a specific reason why you feel that we're just not really moving towards it? Well, it's a big technological process, and some people don't like big industrial technology complexes. They're just scared of those. Uh, some have been, again, they're scared of nuclear, the word nuclear and nuclear waste. What do we do with it? How do we manage it? So that's very real. Some of it's just proliferating um, propaganda. You know, you can use whatever word you want, misinformation, disinformation, you know, bad information. You got it all wrong, right? Yeah, there's a lot of support still for some groups that are anti-nuclear. Now, that yeah. said, it's interesting, some of the bigger NGOs are actually pro-nuclear. The ones that are truly passionate about addressing emissions and climate change are pro-nuclear. So it's creating these interesting groups that are working together. It'll be fascinating to see how that plays out. but it. It's a lot further along than it was 10, even you know, five, 10, even 15 years ago, that range. It's it's really coming into the limelight now as part of the solution. Well, hopefully, as we look at energy reform and trying to get something passed so energy companies as a whole can make uh, decisions in the future that might be a little more solid than what they are right now, if it's past, maybe this might be a solution for us as well. We have one last segment of the show when we return from break, and I want to really drill down into the geopolitical scene. You had a show on Energy Switch as well that talked about this, and I want to talk about that too. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to an old patch radio show, and we'll be right back. Farmers and ranchers are the hardest working people on earth and deserve a side-by-side -side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three and six person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit YamahaViking.com. 
Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha source side-by-side owner study. Are you a business owner feeling overwhelmed where to begin your business's online presence? Maybe you've spent thousands of dollars in the past just to be highly disappointed with the results. We understand because we were once you. Since then, we decided to hire the very best experts to help us and you. Let us send you our business profile that will quickly show you your Google business rankings in these five areas. Reputation, ratings online, website, advertising and social media, and search engine optimization. All of these areas really affect how Google ranks your entire listing. So if ranking on page one is your goal, pick up the phone and call us now, 210-240-7188, or simply go to shalemag.com slash business profile. We'll be in contact with you within 24 hours. Once again, pick up the phone and call us now, 210-240-7188, or simply go to shalemag.com. That's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com slash business profile. Start dealing with a company you can trust and always find. And we're back. You're listening to an old Patrick show. My guest today is Dr. Scott Tinker. Dr. Tinker, before the break, we were talking about your TV series that is airing on a lot of markets in PBS and kudos to them for taking this topic on. And, and, and I, I do want to acknowledge you said it, it typically tends to be a little left leaning their viewership, whereas talk radio is a little more right leaning. I don't probably get nearly as many emails, bad emails as you probably do. But that being said, I love your series, Energy Switch. Everyone should go and get informed. You're on your third, you're on your second series. You've taped your third from what I'm hearing. So it's great. This needs to continue. And hopefully more stations pick you up and see the benefit of educating and informing the masses. And I'm not just talking about the United States because this is a global discussion, if you will. But I want to talk about one that's labeled uh, one of your series, your, your Energy Switch series on the new geopolitical of energy. Daniel Jurgen is the vice chair of S&P Global. We had them on the show, not him specifically, one of his team last week, and I've interviewed him personally. We also, you also interviewed Dr. Ernest Muniz. I, was, I found that show very interesting as well because this whole discussion is changing, and it really changes by who gets elected in different countries here in the United States. So I want you to kind of go over what did you pull out from that show? What was the most important things pertaining to the geopolitical landscape, if you will, with different countries? It almost seems as though countries have kind of gotten into a competitive state, if you will, in some ways when we talk about energy and some are, you know, coming into solar and wind and that's their favorite and they're going to stick with it. Others are investigating different things. So what what is the geopolitical landscape look like? You know, it's, it's politics. So it's all over the board. Uh, Dan Jurgen is a good friend. So is Ernie Moniz. They're, they've been good friends a long time. Very smart people and have seen the world. So you see, I think the fundamental piece here is unchanged, but more vocal now. Energy security drives every geopolitical leader in the world. Secure energy for its nation for various reasons. Some do well with it and others use it as a weapon, but it drives. Climate change has been very front and center, but the minute Ukraine happened and Mr. Putin went in there, all of a sudden energy security was on everyone's lips again from Europe. So when, for example, in Germany, when Russia cut off the natural gas pipeline, Germany went back to coal. So mm -hmm. coal became more important than climate in Germany because they needed to secure electricity generation. So this is, the, this is a fundamental geopolitical driver. The other one that's very important, and I write about, I wrote a piece in Fortune last fall on energy optionality. It's really important to have a portfolio of energy options, if you can, in, within your toolkit, because no single energy does it all. And if we start to eliminate options politically, let's say we cut off gas hookups, or we mandate electric vehicles only, all of a sudden you've eliminated these other options and markets respond very poorly. They always have, and they always mm -hmm. will, because there's nothing perfect. And so we, an EV is good for some things, but not for all things. 
gas hookups are great for some things, but not for all things. Electricity is useful as well. So optionality, and this is Scott talking, yeah, some was in that show, but broader than that, it's so critical in the energy world. And I think our political leaders tend to get lost with that as they push their favorite thing down to their voters who are demanding it. And as we talked about earlier, voters demand it, but it doesn't mean they understand what they're asking for. You know, they have a concept, but it doesn't mean they understand all the ramifications of that. And we're all smart people. I don't talk down to any human being on this show or anywhere else. We all get it. It's just that we don't understand all the complex relationships because it's really so a good and a good intention has these unintended consequences later. And we go, oops, how did that happen? <laughs> so you got to start yeah. to think out front. Well, and another thing, though, on the show and how it was you know, played out is so we saw what happened uh, with Europe and their really kind of digging into solar and wind. How do you feel the United States and our leadership and where we're heading towards? Are we on the right path? Because I want to switch gears and talk about electric vehicles mm -hmm. and EVs. We're on a path of net zero. Um, there's a lot up on the table pertaining, but I don't see the how we get there. And yeah. I see the infrastructure, and I don't see us being able to do that, but I could be wrong. Now, what, net what net zero is a it's a big challenge. It's kind of these neat words and a goal, but I think it sets up systems that may have bad consequences. A net 50 maybe or net 30, why net zero? Just reducing emissions would be a good overarching. And, and it's, it's interesting. So I like net zero poverty myself. I'd like to lift the world out of poverty. And if we do that, we'll have a better chance of going toward net zero emissions because fewer people will be burning dung and hay inside their homes. But if I come back here, we, each of our U.S. states are kind of like European countries. California, Texas, New York, Florida are as big as European countries. So uh, a federal policy here is a very different thing. Some states have gone far down the road of mandates, California cutting off gas and mandating EVs. Others are keeping broader portfolios. And the interesting thing about all that, Kim, is, is there are only 11 states in the country, the U.S., 11 United States, that produce more energy than they consume. 39 states are, are consumers and they're, they're relying on everybody else to send them their electricity and their fuels and their stuff. So it's, it's easier to be so-called green when you ask everybody else to make your stuff. <laughs> yeah. But that doesn't work for the climate and it really doesn't work for the environment. Uh, we all have to begin to acknowledge that this has impacts and just because it's over there doesn't mean it's not impacting the environment. And that's a very important concept. I think we do get it. I think we do understand that. Well, if we have one world that we live on, live in, and if Russia is blowing and going over here or, or any other country, I shouldn't have just, just called out a country. What difference does it make? We all live on one planet. If we have this problem, we need to come up with a solution. And, and then it just makes everybody throw up their hands and say, well, wait a minute, do we even have a problem? Obviously, we want to be greener. We want to be environmentalists. Obviously, we want to try to do things differently and better. But some countries are coming along, some countries aren't. Um, and we're one of them that is, I think, taking a leading uh, stand on that we want to be part of whatever energy solutions wait for us in the future. Do you feel, I, I, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but I just want for you to tell me, do you think that we have a, a real sustainable energy plan currently? I mean, a lot of, you, you said you're gonna have an upcoming show talking about uh, electric vehicles. And I, again, I, I think it's great. And I think a few privileged people will be able to drive these, but I don't know how we get the masses of yeah. you know, that blackboard. Tell me, are we, uh, are we almost there? No, no EV, well, specific EVs are pros and cons. You know, the smaller vehicles electrify them. That's fine. You don't have to drive that far. And the fuel weight, which is a battery, isn't as much proportionally as the vehicles get bigger, more and more of the weight becomes the battery. And so you're hauling around the battery. 
And batteries are not efficient fuel. The motor is very efficient, the electric motor, but the battery itself is not efficient. You've got a cell phone, you know how often you charge it. So, you know, these things require a tremendous amount of earth materials, heavy weight. And so as you get into bigger vehicles, combustion engines still are good, uh, fuel cells, hydrogen, uh, compressed natural gas, et cetera. Optionality, different options. So when our government starts to federal and state say you can only do this is when they've kind of lost the thread. They've lost the thread and you know it's starting to pander to a voter base all, on all sides, by the way. Uh, right. this, is, this isn't one political aisle or the other. Then government needs to keep open these options and, and then allow markets to compete to do these things. The U.S., it's, it's, uh, our energy policy is, and people talk about it, but who would write it? You know, who, who, which side? And are they going to impose it on states? And states, Texas is different from Washington state. Florida is different from New York, et cetera. So I don't think it's as bad as people say, as long as we don't can, to try to impose, pick winners, if you will, energy winners in different sectors, transportation, residential, commercial, industrial. Don't pick winners. Just set these broader targets, affordable, reliable, low emissions, don't hurt the water, the land, or the air. If you can do these things, we're moving in a good direction. Then let, let the markets compete and, and, and bring us at scale the kinds of things we need there. Well, Dr. Tinker, I want to thank you for joining me today on In the Old Patch Radio Show. Um, the links to your Energy Switch show, along with all of the stuff that you've done, your TEDx talk will also be on there as well. Um, I do encourage our listeners to look you up. You have a lot of great information. You break it down very easy. If they want to get informed, you got to start by clicking on a button, folks, and listening to what Dr. Tinker, some of his lectures and uh, some of his shows. Thank you again for joining me on today's In the Old Patch Radio Show. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for doing it. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.